Well, on the first Sunday that we gather as a church after the death of the Queen, we have in front of us a Bible reflection on service. So we thought about changing the sermons in light of what's happened, but then we thought, actually, this um, is just right for remembering and giving thanks for our Queen. So if you look at verse 19 that I just read, page 1151, Paul says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Then the, the second quote in the video we saw earlier, when she was 21 years of age, 1947, I declare to you all, before you all, that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. So here is a, a question for you. Was the Queen free? Um, she was sovereign, but she was also sworn in that oath to service, to duty, for over 70 years. I'm asking, what really is freedom? Uh, we'd normally say, wouldn't we, I'm free if no one can make me do something that I don't want to do. And there's actually a definition that is as old as our Bible passage, comes from the, the Stoic philosophers, the free man does what he wishes without regard for the opinions of others. Does what he wishes without regard for the opinions of others. Implies that slavery then is taking regard for the opinions of others, doing what other people want. But Paul, Paul disagreed. Verse 19 again, though I am free... And belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. A life of service, like Her Majesty the Queen. With her death, we have lost a present, uh, vivid, public example of what Paul is talking about here. A life of service following the example of Christ who she tried to imitate and setting an example for us to follow. So I want to to look at two examples tonight. Paul gives us his own story in verses 1 to 18. We'll do that fairly briefly. And as we go, I'll also ask us to reflect on the life of the Queen. So first heading for us tonight is that, the life of service, the life of service. And if you heard it as already read, Paul is talking about his pay, his wages, or actually about his lack of pay. He refused to take money from the Corinthians while he was with them, as if as if he was a slave, not a free man. Um, For the Queen, maybe it was more about time. Still working on the day before her death, at the age of 96, having held one of the most demanding jobs in the world for over 70 years still not doing what she wants, but relentlessly going on giving herself to other people. And in the, um, the verses that we've got, Paul, he spends a lot of time proving that he was free, um, proving that he didn't have to do this, that he had a right to be paid, but he chose not to. And that is crucial for the parallel that we're drawing. If you were here last week, um, 8 verse 9, There is a right that the Corinthians, they really, really want to exercise. It's important to them. 
important for their job, for their family, their place in society. But Paul has told them not to exercise it if it will cause harm to other Christians. And Paul is saying that is a bit like him and his salary. He has the right, but he doesn't exercise it. And I'm not going to go through all the reasons that he gives tonight. I count at least eight different proofs that he does have the right to be paid. Some of them are from the Bible. Some of them are just normal common sense. Things like it'd be crazy not to pay your army and expect to be safe behind your borders. Just like maybe it's cruel to make an ox work for you, um, surrounded by the smell of food, grinding corn, and not give it anything to eat. In the same way, verse 11, those who sow spiritual seed have the right to reap a material harvest. So Paul, he really, really deserves his money. But then look at verse 12, halfway through verse 12. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, there's lots of issues here we don't have time for. We could talk about how we at All Souls, we decide how much to pay the, um, the hardworking oxen on the ministry team as they do their spiritual service among us. We could talk about um, why they decide to accept or refuse that salary, given what's here. Um, we could talk about why Paul refused to be paid in Corinth. He actually, um, we know he did accept money in other circumstances, and we don't know why, uh, particularly here. It's likely something to do with their obsession with status and wealth. So he deliberately lowers himself because free people, they get paid, and slaves don't. They obsess about status, and they want high-status ministers, so he lowers himself to the position of a slave. But here is what we do need to talk about. You see, he calls on them to have the same attitude to each other as he had to them. If something will hinder the gospel, meaning if something will cause harm to someone either becoming a Christian or surviving as a Christian, if it would hinder a brother or sister, then it doesn't matter how much you deserve it how much you're entitled to it or want it or need it, he gives it up. Just like he wants them to give up some of their meals in the temple of the local gods. And I think the extent to which the queen did that, that has become clearer and clearer as time's gone on. I think um, way back years ago, most of us didn't really think much about how demanding a, you know, a normal day in the life of the queen is. Looks very nice, doesn't it? You know, the waving and all the rest of it. But actually, um, when did she eat lunch? Uh, what did she have for lunch? Uh, we don't think about the sort of relentless pressure to be polite and kind, no matter what people do or say to her. Didn't think about those long, long days with the endless queues of people. But as time went on, I think even the, the most anti-royalist can see there's something remarkable here. Um, when might most of us think it, you know, be reasonable to retire? 65? 70? She did the job for 70 years, as Carfoon said, let alone retire at 70. They estimate it was 750,000 handshakes 
in the course of her reign. And one of the things I read uh, recently reminded me of the night in 1982 when a a man in a, a disturbed mental state entered her bedroom during the night holding a piece of broken glass and apparently sat on her bed for uh, a period of time before she could, um, well, before security realized, they thought the alarms were just broken, uh, not really going off. Now, wouldn't you, after a, a distressing experience like that, wouldn't you have taken some time off? You know, cancel work for the rest of the day, I'm not coming in. Three hours later, she was downstairs meeting crowds of people because they had traveled a long way and she didn't want to disappoint them. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And there she is at 96, making a 15th prime minister, standing, smiling, doing her duty. There are other models out there of how to be a head of state. You know, other more self-serving examples, certainly other, other models of what it means to be a monarch, very much available. Have it all be about yourself. And if it comes down to rights, um, doesn't a 96-year-old have the right to lay down her work? But she didn't, because she decided to be a devoted servant instead. And both Paul and the Queen... They think they are simply following the example set by Jesus. So in uh, 2012, her Christmas broadcast, this is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. He restored love and service to the center of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. Or um, turn the page to 11 verse 1. Um, 11 verse 1, Paul says the same. He says, follow my example, the unpaid slave, as I follow the example of Christ. So this, according to Paul, it's for all of us. This is how we should be. And what I want us to do, I want us to think harder about what that would actually look like for us, and then to think how on earth anybody could actually do this. Um, So what does it look like? Well, um, look at verse 19 again, back in um, chapter 9. But we'll read just a a few words further this time. So he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So that's what it is. I've made myself slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So his goal is winning people, as many as possible. Or um, look at verse 22. So that by all means possible... I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. So this, um, it's not about making people happy. It's not about making people like you. It's about saving them. It's about getting as many people as possible to be with Jesus forever. Um, If you know these verses, you'll know that often we only apply them to how Christians relate to people who are not yet Christians, as if this sort of self-subjugating slavery to everyone, it ends when someone becomes a Christian. In fact, somebody suggested to me this week, we actually see church as sort of our time off from this, a rest from all the hassles and misunderstandings of life out in the non-Christian workplace or family. But church is where I recharge. 
Church is where I can have a bit of me time. But the issue on the table in chapter 8, that's about people who are already Christians, who might be destroyed by me doing what I want. So this, this is about the whole sweep of life, getting as many people as possible all the way through to the day they meet with Jesus face to face, as our Queen has now done. And what Paul does, it seems very simple uh, until you begin to think about the implications. So verse 19, he's made himself their slave. What does that mean? Verse 20, to the Jews I became like a Jew. To those under the law I became like one under the law. To those not under the law I became like one not under the law, not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Uh, Or if you want the summary, by the time we get a few weeks' time, page uh, just one page over, 10 verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved." which is the example of Christ. Isn't it fascinating that that is the opposite of the first century current definition of freedom? The Stoics, they say the free man does what he wishes without regard to the opinions of others. And Paul says, I'll do anything, even I'll become anything, if it will do them eternal good. Can you see why he chooses the vocabulary of the slave for this? Um, his list in chapter 9, it covers the, the great religious, cultural, racial divides of his day. Um, Jewish people, they at the time, they would not even enter the house of a Gentile. And Paul, he was a Pharisee. He was properly good at this, a law keeper all of his life. There's no question where his preferences, his cultural comfort zones were. No question. But now he will become like a Gentile, if it will help them. If you think about it, the the slave never gets asked for their cultural preferences. The slave never gets to ask for a more comfortable way of doing things. No good saying that you're a morning person. No good asking for flexible working. doesn't matter if you find cooking bacon distasteful. The slave has to have regards for the opinions of others, does whatever they're asked to do, and never gets paid. And that is the image Paul uses to tell you and me how to relate to each other and to the rest of the human race. I um, read a a Facebook post from a a retired American bishop, actually, that put me onto a, a Guardian article from 2015. Now, this is slightly unfair. Um, Polly Toynbee wrote the article um, just as the Queen reached that milestone where she became the longest-serving British monarch. And it's a bit unfair to quote an article from 2015, um, just after the death of the Queen. Actually, Polly Toynbee has written another article this week, and it is much more appreciative of the Queen. But what she said in 2015, it was so interesting, um, I thought I would share it with you. It was meant to be a negative back in 2015, but I think the Queen would take it as a compliment. Um, And you tell me what you think. So 2015, Polly Toynbee wrote, the Queen is past mistress 
of nothingness. A dutiful enigma, say her flatterers, or a conveniently empty vessel into which Helen Mirren can imagine any amount of knowingness and intelligence. Past mistress of nothingness, an empty vessel. Isn't that exactly what Paul is calling us to be here? Ready to self-empty and be whatever the other person needs us to be. Didn't Jesus, didn't he call us to deny self? And the New Testament, doesn't it talk about the death of self? And here, that we enslave our self. And the article, it meant in particular that the Queen was a nothingness politically, which got me thinking about just what a significant sacrifice that was. So the Queen, she gave up the expression of political opinions when in fact she was probably the best informed single individual on this planet, certainly the most experienced politician on the planet, full clearance briefings at the highest level every week since 1952. Just think what's happened in our world since 1952. Think what she could have said about what she thought about it. But in her service of us, she just didn't express her opinions, ever. When most of us, we couldn't survive three minutes with Twitter open in front of, we've got to say, got to say what I think. What kind of church would all souls be if we all behaved like the Queen to each other? What kind of group would we be at 5.30 if we did this? I don't mean the trappings. I don't mean yeah, every Sunday when it's turned to your neighbor, meet and greet. You have to do, oh, what, what do you do? Yeah, you don't have to do that. But if we were to empty ourselves and make ourselves a nothingness so that by all possible means, I might save some. So 1 Corinthians 8 asks, would I risk the anger of my family for you? Would I risk losing my job for you? 1 Corinthians 9, would I work without pay and so spend all my nights working a second job to feed my family for you? Would I eat the food that my culture says is wrong to eat? Would I give up on my cultural preferences, my every comfort, everything that I enjoy doing? Would I become just like you if it would increase the chance of you being with Jesus forever? How would we be as a congregation if we did that? An empty vessel, a slave of everyone. So I don't know, maybe I love football and you love opera. Um, Well, if it would help, we're going to go to the opera, aren't we? Every time. Um, Certainly, this would end all the arguments that come in any normal church. You know, what kind of music, what length of service, what kind of food, not what I like, but whatever would do someone else some good. Notice that these chapters, they are addressed entirely to those who might have to give something up. There's not a word to the person who should be less demanding. But actually, if we, if we all did this, we'd sort of meet in the middle in a sort of crazy, you know, no, no, what you want, what you want, what you want. We are a multicultural gathering when we meet here at 5.30, which means we have the opportunity to, to do this a lot 
could be wonderful. Or we could do this really badly as we each insist on what we most want. And there are some exceptions here, I think. Just um, quickly look down at verse 21. He becomes like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under the law of Christ. So there is one important limit on this. I, um, I cannot sin in order to help someone. Um, it, it, God doesn't ask me to. It won't actually help somebody come to repent and follow Jesus. So um, maybe, maybe, maybe chapter 9 means that you will be with your colleagues in the noisy, sweaty, sticky-floored, beer-soaked hole that they think is a lovely drink after work, uh, even if that is not your comfort zone at all. But um, you won't help them by getting drunk and joining in the gossip and the slander. Um, there's another exception back in chapter 1. Paul, he knows what they really want him to do for them. Jews want miracles. Greeks want wisdom. And he says, no, I will not go out of my way to look impressive for you. It's quite a striking challenge to us today. Often we will never give up our sort of comfort zone things. You have to accept our music, our food, our clothes, our way of speaking. But the one thing we'll pour effort into is looking impressive and wise and spiritually powerful. And... Um, Paul does it the other way around. Won't do that for you, but I will do anything else if it costs me. So here is a question for um, 5.15 p.m. as you walk north from Oxford Circus. Just ask, who am I coming to church for? Uh, Am I here for me or am I here for everybody else? Am I hoping that church will do me some good or am I praying I'd be able to do someone else? Some good. I wonder, does that help with the, um, the decision that Carfoon gave us, um, whether to join a life group, a Bible study group this autumn? Um, now, let me say, for some that will be impossible because of family commitments or shift patterns. But for the rest of us, how, um, how would I persuade you to join a Bible study group? I could try and tell you how much good it would do you, and it will It'd be brilliant. But um, if you're like me, you don't have a spare evening in the week, really. Um, it's not that I'm bored and you know I'm struggling to know what I want, what I'm going to do on a Wednesday night, and that's why I come in for roots. No, the decision to be here every week last week, last year, was a, a decision to leave undone what I want to do. Um, even often leave undone what I ought to do. Uh, in our group last year, actually, I won't say too much because um, some of them are here tonight, but it was, I think it was the person with the busiest job in the group who was there every week uh, and often back to work afterwards at 9pm. He wouldn't say so how often. So just, I mean, we'll need to talk to each other about this. What would it mean? There's some of what it might mean under point two. But then I said we'd finish by talking about how on earth you managed to do this. So point three, how I have made my body my slave. So that's the, the final paragraph, verses 24 to 27, um, where he, he turns to the athletics. He says, well, look, look at how athletes run or how they train, verse 25, or how they fight, verse 26. And then he tells us to do the same. Uh, run in such a way as to get the prize. Verse 24 or verse 27, I strike a blow to my body 
and make it my slave. He doesn't mean literally, but that way of thinking about your body. So how? How did Jesus and Paul, the queen, how did they set an example of lifelong service of other people? How on earth can we always put our uh, other people's preferences and culture and comfort ahead of our own? Well, we're never going to do that unless we have made our bodies our slaves. See, bodies here, they, they stand for all the things that we want. Um, I've noticed uh, quite a lot of September diets and uh, exercise plans going on. Um, same thing, isn't it? The body wants a donut, uh, or the, um, the body wants to stop the run while it can still breathe and speak. But the devoted athlete has enslaved all of those things. Simple question, who's the master? Is it you, or is it your body? And if the queen had not decided very, very early on to copy Jesus Christ in his humiliation and service of others, she would never have been able to live the way that she did. Um, in 1995, she spoke about Jesus' call to love one another as I have loved you, which is really just the application of tonight. And she said, it sounds so simple, yet it proves so hard to obey. So she, she did not want to sit on her own at her husband's funeral. And the rest of the country wasn't doing that. The rest of government wasn't doing that. But what she wanted was not in control of her. So there's no way that you would head out on a Sunday night, let's say, and head out for food that you hate, to talk about a sport you find boring with someone from a, a different culture to you. No way you'll do that if your body is the one calling the shots. No way you would commit to a Bible study group week after week filled with people who, to be honest, they'll let you down and, and don't fit in with you at cost to yourself. No way you'll do that if your body is the master. On a Sunday, this is the difference between here every week, come what may rain or shine, or here when I feel like it. Um, this is what is behind when um, someone comes up to me and they say, do you know, I came as a new person. I was looked after so well. Do you know the person? They didn't talk to any of their friends that night. They just talked to me. And then they met me on the steps the week after and we had a coffee or we had lunch. And we, do you know, now I know lots of people. You won't do that if your body is your master. But how powerful is this? This is Paul's definition of true freedom. I make my body my slave, which makes him free enough to be the slave of everybody else. That is a rare kind of freedom, one that we recognize when we see it. That's why all the crowds, I don't know if you've been down to see the crowds, um, they're not particularly sad, I don't think, in pockets, but not really. Mainly, it is gratitude. We recognize what it is when somebody serves you day in, day out, for year after year after year. And, um, and we say, it, it's just not possible for me. Um, you don't know how tired I get. You don't know how much I hate sport or loud music or rude people or whatever it is. And what Paul does is he points at the crazy athletes and their, their crazy, stupid training schedules. And they do it all, he says, verse 25, to get a crown that will not last. 
Um, do you know what the um, the winning runner received in the Isthmian Games? And that was the, the games in Corinth. They had their own games. There was the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games, about the same. And, and it's their bad luck. We've gone with the Olympics. Um, do you know what they won? They made a crown made of, well, sometimes made of pine, but sometimes made of celery. <laughs> yes of physical pain and degradation up at 4am on the, the running track of pain and dieting and pushing yourself. And if you win, you get a hat made of celery, which would be in the bin by Wednesday. But verse 25, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. A crown that through her faith in Jesus, that Elizabeth II is now wearing better than any of her hats made of diamond that she's left behind for her son. A crown that is available to any of us if we trust Jesus, deny ourselves, enslave our bodies, and set out free enough to make ourselves the slaves of everyone we meet, to save, to win as many as possible. Let me pray that we will do that. Dear Father, you know us inside out, you know our weaknesses, our our failures, you know how we feel, how we react to a a passage like this. Father, with the example of Paul in front of us, the example of the Queen, the example of your Son, pray that we would so understand the crown you have waiting for us, so understand what you've done for us, that we would control our body, enslave our body, and live this loving, joyous, wonderful service of each other and the world, that we would bring others to be with us on the great day we wear that crown with your Son, the Lord Jesus, King of all, in whose name we pray. Amen.